0: WLRN edition 92 Broadcasting in 3 2 1 I was born Woman Off my knees
1: I will stand For my liberation
0: Sisters rise again I was born Woman Off
1: my knees
2: Greetings, and welcome to the 92nd edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, December 7th, 2023. This is Mary. This month's edition focuses on the war in the Middle East and its impacts on women and children. We'll hear an excerpt of an interview Thistle conducted with Cindy Sheehan, a left-wing anti-war activist who was instrumental in the peace movement during the Iraq War. I will also provide commentary at the end of the show that reflects on the current crisis in Israel and Gaza, providing a brief overview of the history of the conflict. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's Kathleen Miles sitting in for me this month with women's news from Around the Globe for this Thursday, December 7th, 2023. Take it away, Kathleen.
0: On Wednesday, November 1st, between 50 and 100 students walked out of the Woodgrove High School in Loudoun County, Virginia to protest a Loudoun County School Board policy allowing students to use the bathrooms and locker rooms that align with their chosen gender identities. The policy was adopted in 2021 by a 7-2 vote of the Loudoun County School Board. Now the policy is facing backlash from students, some of whom want to see the policy reversed. A female student interviewed by ABC7 News said of the policy, it's a massive safety risk and they Loudoun County Public Schools, don't do anything about it, and we express these concerns and they ignore us and write us off as right-wing crazies. We're not crazy. We just don't want to be in danger on a daily basis in this building. She assured ABC 7 News that she is not alone and that half of the women in the building feel the same way, even going so far as to refrain from using the bathrooms. According to ABC 7 News, Woodgrove High School students were discouraged from speaking out by their teachers. When asked if the policy would be reversed, the Loudoun County School Board said that the policy is in review from the Student Services Committee and they will continue with the prescribed review process. Al-Ada Hospital is the only hospital still in operation in the northern area of Gaza. And as of November 13th, they have run out of fuel. The hospital is also without anesthetic and other essential medical supplies. Despite these shortages, hospital staff continue to treat their patients 80% of whom are women and children. They've continued to perform life-saving procedures, such as C-sections. Over the weekend of November 11th and 12th, 16 C-sections were performed, and between 18 and 20 babies were delivered each day. In Gaza, more than 135 health facilities have been targeted by Israel, and all are faced with a lack of fuel and supplies. There were 50,000 pregnant Palestinian women under siege as of November 13th. On Friday, November 24th, a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas began. The terms of the ceasefire included the release of at least 50 Israeli women and children hostages in exchange for the release of 150 Palestinian prisoners, of whom were all women and children. Hamas released a group of 24 hostages on Friday night, and in the exchanges sense, a total of 69 hostages taken in the October 7th attacks have been released with 50 of those being Israeli and 19 of other nationalities. By the end of the Monday swap, it is expected that a total of 150 Palestinian prisoners will have been freed. Israel has stated that it will continue to extend the temporary truce between Palestine and Israel, an extra day for every 10 additional hostages released. Hamas agreed to a two-day extension, and the ceasefire was extended to last at least until two days past Monday, November 27th. The hope of many is that this will allow for more humanitarian aid to enter the Gaza Strip, which has been devastated by the Israeli bombardment and ground offensive. On October 30th, President Xi Jinping of China made a speech addressing his concerns about China's declining population. He called for the All-China Women's Federation, a government-led institution, to, in his words, actively cultivate a new marriage and childbirth culture, strengthen guidance of young people's views on marriage, parenthood, and family, as well as promote policies to support childbirth. At the same event in 2018, President Xi called on the All-China Women's Federation to help women better deal with the relationship between family and work. And back in 2013, he spoke about the need for women to be good wives and mothers for the sake of the next generation. This most recent call for a return of women to domestic roles comes on the heels of a leadership change last year, which saw women excluded from China's Politburo. On November 8th, Ohio voted to protect the right to abortion under the state constitution. The state legislature could still ban abortion after the fetus becomes viable at around 23 weeks, with exceptions made if the treating physician considers abortion necessary for the patient's health or life. The UN warns that the violence against civilians in Sudan, which broke out last April, is verging on pure evil. Since April, those loyal to de facto heads of state, Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, have been fighting the paramilitary forces of the Rapid Support Forces. This conflict has resulted in numerous atrocities, including young girls being raped in front of their mothers, and armed militias going house to house shooting boys and men. According to conservative estimates from the Armed Conflict, Location, and Event Data Project, over 10,000 people have been killed in the conflict, while the U.N. reports that 4.8 million have been displaced. The Hollywood Branch Library in Northeast Portland closed on Sunday, November 19th after a crowd gathered to protest a scheduled event set to be held in one of the library's meeting rooms. The event was to be held by Women's Declaration International USA, who described the gathering as a peaceful speaking event addressing the preservation of sex-based rights for women and girls. However, posts circulated online calling for protest against what some see as transphobic rhetoric. The night before the event, the library was vandalized with graffiti, which said things like turfs out of PDX. On November 19th, protesters lined up on the sidewalk and surrounded the entrance to the library. WDI USA claims that they were informed by the head of county security and the library president that library staff were being menaced by members of the crowd and that the women were then asked to consider canceling their event. Out of consideration for library staff and patrons, the women stated that they chose to move their event to the street and that violence then ensued halfway into the first speech. In their online statement, WDIUSA reports that cans were thrown at the women, chemicals sprayed in their faces, women punched and kicked, and phones and cameras ripped off of their bodies. Redux and WDI USA report that numerous 911 phone calls were made without police response. On November 4th, Erin Jackson, speed skater, roller derby player, and Olympic gold medalist for the United States, took gold in the Pan American Games' Santiago for the 500-meter and inline skating. Erin is no stranger to success. In 2015, she took silver in the Pan American Games in Toronto for the 500-meter inline speed skating event and she is the 500-meter national record holder. Erin also holds many accolades in ice speed skating, including a gold medal in the 2022 Olympic Winter Games. Prior to her recent win in the Pan American Games, Erin expressed excitement for the competition. She said, I feel like it's been so long since I've been able to go to the Pan Am Games. I'm just excited. It was a really good time last time I was there. That concludes WLRN's World News Segment for Thursday, December 7. I'm Kathleen. Share your news stories, announcements, and tips with us by emailing info at wlrnmedia.com and let us know what's going on.
3: Same, it's not
0: enough, it's a lot
4: know that in the world that we live in peace is possible only when women, women of integrity and
3: faith stand up for the future of their children. Congratulations! It is my hope that you will continue to battle
4: for peace in a constructive way and I look forward to the day that I will come and join you. Thank you for the children of Israel. Thank you for the children of Palestine. Thank you. Peace.
3: Shalom.
1: That was Yael Dekelbaum with her song, Prayer of the Mothers, a song she wrote for the March of Hope that took place in 2016. Lubna Salame, Miriam Tukan, and Danielle Rubin are also featured singers in the song. 4,000 women, half Palestinians and half Israelis, marched from the north of Israel to Jerusalem to demonstrate for peace in 2016. The march culminated on October 19th, with 15,000 women demonstrating in front of Israel's prime minister's house, calling for a ceasefire. Next up, we'll hear excerpts of an interview Emily and I did with Cindy Sheehan last weekend about the war in the Middle East and its impacts on women. Cindy is a longtime anti-war activist who lost her son to the Iraq War in 2004. She has blazed a trail of militant anti-war activism and criticism of the USA's war-based economy ever since. You can find her work at cindyshehan.substack.com. I started the interview by asking her which lens she uses to analyze war. Take a listen.
4: Well, at the very base of it, war is absolute one hundred percent unequivocal barbarism. There should be no there should be no uh, mass killing of human beings, whether they're innocent civilians or, Or troops, like many troops are also, even though they've been trained in this, we have to look at that through a different lens, too. Because here in the United States, we know that many of our young people who are in the poor working classes, and my son included, who was killed in Iraq as a member of the U.S. Army over 20 years, almost 20 years ago now on April 4th. I can't believe that some some days it feels like 20 minutes and some days it feels like, you know, a lot longer. But so I look at it through that lens is that, I mean, if my son was uh, wrong for joining the military to get college benefits and, and to what he was promised by his recruiter, he joined in two thousand. The year two thousand, then why? You know, why do I have to suffer because of war? Why does his Why does his family, his siblings, his father, uh, his friends? W- you know, why are we suffering? It's because war is barbaric, and nobody should take our young people. and And I would think that most parents. Raise their children to be to to resolve differences nonviolently, but then because of economic circumstances or whatever, there there's probably a lot of U.S. troops that enjoy what they're doing, but that wasn't the case for my son, and so train them to be uh, cold-blooded killers, and in the case of Israel, Hama, Israel and Palestine, then we have troops that are uh, indentured. They have to serve. They're, everybody in Israel serves. And so um, I just look at it through that lens is that it is an absolutely barbaric thing that uh, humans have been doing to each other uh since time began but when is the human race going to grow up and you know say that war is ridiculous and it's not even for to resolve conflicts it's to actually enrich people for power for resource control for uh to enrich the the one percent who are already rich to further enrich them to impoverish the rest of us and to put mothers like me into lifelong um, grief. That's kind of the lens I look at it through.
1: Okay, yeah, um, that's that was um, quite an answer. And this is why you're anti-war, you're not just a peace activist, you're against war because it impacts more than just the soldiers. It impacts the families of the soldiers. It impacts the civilians, innocent civilians, especially in this Israeli Hamas conflict. We're seeing so many civilians who are being slaughtered, um, which is just I can't even imagine the trauma that all these people are going through. Um, Emily, do you want to? jump in there at all, or we can go on to the next? Yeah,
3: I mean, I really agree with what what Cindy is saying, that the, you know, especially like what you're saying uh, um, about, a lot of the times I think in discourse around war, there's a villainizing of soldiers as like, you know, the enforcers of what's happening, and it's true what you're saying, like the, the young men who are signing up to go to these wars, the the vast majority of them i don't think are doing it because they you know want to kill or are cold blooded killers maybe there's a, a small number of them that are like that but it, no it, it's 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 this war machine of powerful rich men who want things and are willing to kill innocent people whether they're young men that signed up to fight or women that are just living in a place that becomes a a conflict space. It's it's the male war machine churning on and and making a mess for everybody everybody else.
1: Yeah. yeah. So um, that's so depressing to think <laughs> about. You know, yeah. I I yeah. I wish that we collectively and I truly believe this that if the majority of the politicians and the people in charge of Major powers in the world. If it were, if, it, if 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 women were in charge, I don't think we would see this type of bloodshed, at least as as extremely as we see it. Um, I don't know what you think about that, Cindy.
4: Well, I think if the women who are in charge uh, were in charge, if there were women like Hillary Clinton and Condoleezza Rice, then there'd be, a, you know, much more bloodshed. I think. I think Hillary Clinton is a, a vicious war criminal. She's a war monger, and you know she has proven that over and over again. So I guess it would be see what I, I don't really look at it, you know, as a Democrat Republican woman, may, female male issue. I look at it as an imperialistic issue. For somebody to raise uh, as to the top as high as Hillary Clinton has gotten. Or, you know, other vicious war mongering women like um, Nikki Haley or uh, Liz Cheney. I, you know, I could go on and on and on, but I can only be here an hour. <laughs> I, could, I could go for an hour just listening to war criminals. It's more of a systemic problem. So, to get, you have to almost even for people of color or LGBT people, if you get up to that kind of level, that means you have bought into the white male privilege paradigm, you know, and you act like a white male, you don't represent right. your community. Barack, Barack Obama is a good example uh, of that. And um, Hillary Clinton's a good example uh, on the gender quest- issue. So
1: I, you that's know, my I totally agree with that. And I think that's why we need a woman centered, female centered, female driven society because we, you know, women enlist in the patriarchy and right. help the patriarchy. Emily and I were talking about this the other day. Who binds the feet of the girls in China? It's their mothers. Mm-hmm. You know, often yeah. with women who, like you said, can be some of the most bloodthirsty. Well, if women
4: like us were in charge, things would be different.
1: Exactly. That's not
4: going to happen. I tried, you know, I tried really hard to. You tried very hard and you
1: (laughs) did a good job down there in Crawford, Texas. Cindy Sheehan, you did a fantastic job and you're still with us. And and it's really great to be discussing this with you. I'm going to go on to the next question that we had. And that is, you know, what is your understanding of the history of the conflict between Palestine and Israel, and um, in what ways does this current moment, this current situation, differentiate itself from the past?
4: Well, first of all, um, I'm not. I don't really like the is the Hamas-Israeli conflict uh, kind of meme or paradigm or or talking point because that would that presupposes that there's some kind of equality it, that it's an equal fight it's it's actually and this is apt because it's in that part of the world, it's definitely a David and Goliath kind of thing where Goliath is a big bully and David is using his uh, sling and stones to try and defeat that but the, the history of the Israeli Palestine conflict goes back really not just to October 7th. It goes back to the late 1800s, where a Zionist movement started a homeland for Jews in Palestine. And then, uh, of course, after the Holocaust, which was a horrific event, nobody is minimizing that. But also, what isn't talked about is that not only were Jews exterminated, but catholics uh socialists gay people gypsies e- anybody where hitler or the germans thought were uh, you know harming the the fatherland or the bloodline of the white blonde blue-eyed germans they were um eliminated in that and then after world war ii um israel well European Jews were granted land that wasn't anybody's right to give. People were already living there and they were Palestinians, they were Christians, they were Jews, had been living in in mostly harmony. Uh, Nobody lives in complete harmony ever. No community doesn't have its issues, doesn't have its struggles. But then uh, literal terrorists came to chase Palestinians, and even Jews and Christians were killed in this beginning. And so the Nakba happened. Uh, I don't know, something like 14,000 Palestinians were killed that were living in Janine, uh, Janine I believe. And then the current bombardment, where we've seen many, uh, bombardments of Gaza since Israel put up the wall. The current one has killed more now than the Nakba did, and that about I think the last thing I heard. And they resumed. They had a, a brief pause, a timeout. They have got, Israel has resumed, but before the the resumption, I believe like twenty thousand Gazans had been killed, half of them children. And so I, I believe now I have an extreme position on this. I realize that uh, there are many, I, and I want to say there are many Jews who are not Zionists. There are many people of other faiths who are Zionists. Zionism means an extreme colonialism, and that there are people on both sides of the conflict there are uh, people israelis who don't agree with what israel is doing and there are many there's jewish voices for peace and there are people are young people in universities who are trying to speak up for the palestinian people and they're being told that you know there would be a severe discipline if they didn't stop doing that etc and so my position is israel is a colonial apartheid state obviously And colonialism, again, with war is barbarism. And they're trying to, this is a genocide. It's not a war. It's not a conflict. It's Goliath trying to exterminate David. And I think this time the international community, many of of the people in the community are getting it right. They're saying that what's happening and what happened to Gaza even before October 7th was a crime against humanity and they're calling for um, an end to it and so I think that there's no there there's no two-state solution it's a one-state solution that's a Palestinian state go back to when it was Palestine and if the if the European Jews who live there want to be integrated that and I, I what am I saying? I live in California. <laughs> I'm trying to solve this, uh, conflict that, uh, people have gotten Nobel peace prizes for, but have, has not been, uh, resolved to this day.
1: No, no,
3: that was great. I, I, you know, the good, you know, coverage. I think it's, yeah, like, I, I think it's kind of just such an impossible situation. I, I, I feel like, it was set up to be a perpetual conflict from the very beginning the way you know being here's this land we don't we don't have the right to give it away or anything but we are here it's for you now you know like it's just so such a ridiculous way to start off in a way that's going to be a conflict i I don't i don't know that i i mean i feel the same way about you right like who am i to say what the solution should be or whatever i don't feel like i have an idea of um you know i don't think that i can't think of a situation a solution that would work and that wouldn't like continue to create
1: conflict i feel like that is why this it's like a festering wound i mean ever since i've been Mm -hmm. in high school this has been which is a long time ago in the 1980s you know this has been a conflict that involves many horrible murders of innocent civilians on both sides, but I w- would agree. You know, the number of uh, Gazans, obviously, is ha- and Palestinians that have been killed. Civilians is much higher than the is on the Israeli side. I totally yeah. see that, but not one, none of them, no innocent civilians on either side should be right. killed. You know, and I. I, you know, why is this a festering wound? And you you said in your monologue, um, Cindy, that th- that the Jews, you know, in all these different groups did live in this region in with ba- basic harmony, not full right. harmony, before this 1948 thing started. Like, it was the UN that did that, right? right. I mean, yes. why did they set it up the way that they set it up? Do you, do you know? um
4: basically i think that it's very difficult because i think the choice of palestine for the european jews who had been horribly oppressed during the holocaust and i actually wrote a piece on my substack cindy sheehan's soapbox substack if you know people want to subscribe it's free i think that before that, though, there was this, like I said, this Zionist movement, and I think it was basically a, a racist movement because Europeans didn't want the Jews li- you know, living uh, where they lived. And because you would think, to make sense of it all, Germany was the one that committed the Holocaust, so you would think that a, a piece of Germany would be carved out for uh the the jews for a, a jewish state and but but like again it's just really confusing is why do we need like a jewish state there's uh no other states that say i'm this religion state although you know you know and you know most of the Arabic countries they are mostly muslim but they don't say we're a muslim state and, um so I think that first of all, why was that <laughs> even an issue oh, but no, well, I, can, I can answer that i uh-huh. mean I,
3: I think like I think you know, coming out of the Holocaust, that's like the whole state of Israel is you know Jews, Zionists like reacting to the Holocaust. we need our own space, we need our own military, we need to be able to you know congregate and defend ourselves and you Know, I hear what you're saying. Like, why does there, you know, why can't Jewish people just like I don't know, there's like more Jews living in New York City, I think, right? Right, New York State I know, and, and so they're
4: definitely not in a really that much of an oppressed, but there, you know, there are people who have prejudices and things like that, and they always will. And I think the pr- issue we have with this uh, uh, free Palestine or pro Palestine movement is that there's still those people and when um and then the congress just equated being anti-zionist zionist Zionist with being Mm anti-semitic right and so Mm -hmm. now we have even more of a challenge because there i think there are people in the movement that don't like jews or hate jews and i hate i don't want to say that I don't like to say anti-Semitic because that's another one of their words because the Palestinian people are Semitic people and I'm not against any people I'm not against Jews I'm against these uh, like Netanyahu and those kind of people that are equating Palestinians with being animals and with being savages and they say that they use their children as human shields or whatever and that's what What colonial powers have always said. That's what the white settlers from Europe said about our indigenous people. And so the problem is that there is some hatred for Jews. And I think that that kind of puts puts this cast over the whole pro-Palestinian movement is that they think that because they're very paranoid. And I, I understand the Holocaust was a horrible thing thing and they do have a reason uh for some paranoia but you know there's got to be a time when we've come into the 21st century and um there's mostly no animosity uh towards jews in fact they seem to be a protected uh i don't even want to say minority which is you know which is fine which is great but um we have to understand that like like uh, we've talked about is that there are people who have been born and died and born and died who are still like, like you said, there's a festering wound before world war one. If there were wars, combatants would actually go to battlefields or, or fight in open places and very few civilians were killed. Now, how can in a, place. It's all terrorism. Yeah, like, it's so crowded. How You can't avoid killing civilians. That's why war should be
1: abolished. Yeah. Yeah, war should be abolished. And I mean, <laughs> I know I will. I, just, I, like, I think one of the things that like
3: festers this wound, like when I think about someone like um, Netanyahu, like his brother was killed in a terrorist attack, like in the eighties or so. you have, like, he's never going to stop, right? Like someone who not only is like, I'm the defender of Israel and the Jewish people. He also is like, my brother was killed by a terrorist. So when you have like the, you know, and I'm sure whoever, you know, is, is leading in, in Hamas is also, has had these personal, you know, effects everyone has. And so it's like, yeah, you're, you Someone like uh, Netanyahu, like, he's he's never going to back down. He's always going to be a warmonger, you know, because he feels like, you know, he's going to uh, kill all of Hamas because they killed his brother. And I feel like that is... Very much a patriarchal way of... Yeah, and, it, and, it, and, it, and, you know, yeah, like,
1: and using human shields. I mean, I... How much is religion have, a part of this? Because, you know, like... It's a Zionist it's a re- it. J- Jewish religious state. And in Judaism, there's the concept of an eye for an eye, right? I mean, how much of no. that, isn't it? It's in the Old Testament. Like, I, well, yeah, the, an eye for an eye. It's like a common. Assessment. Anyway, I, I'm coming from a Christian background. And yeah. I I just remember learning that Jesus came and said, no, we're not going to practice an eye for an eye. We're going to practice forgiveness and um and love thy neighbor and love thy neighbor instead of an eye for an eye and so i'm just saying like how much is you know, religion involved in this conflict. I'm sure that's a huge can of worms. I and, know, I want you know, we're <laughs> not. I mean, religion is. There's no way to
3: take religion out of it, right? Because that's why the Jewish people are like the Zionists of the Jewish people. Feel the entitlement to the land of Israel because it's the ancestral. It's where like the, you know, it's, it's the where, holy it's land. It's where the story took place. It's where the Bible took place, or whatever. Like it's where the it's where the book happened and so yeah and like every uh, christianity and islam both come out of judaism all three of those religions pray to the same god you know they're little facets on different on a, a different take but it's all it's all a male god it's all the same <laughs> god it goes back to the same old testament book and yeah i mean there I, I i feel so hopelessly inept of like well how how do you ever i mean. You know, ideally, there would be some sort of like, you know, actually non-partisan group that could hold, you know, but like it doesn't exist. I don't think and I don't know how to make it happen. So but I don't think there's any way to take it, especially, you know, maybe I'm just speaking from the Jewish side, like the Zionist Jews that, you know, it is intrinsic to their faith. To live in the land of Israel. And you, which you just also counter, there's plenty of other Jews that are like, if you were there's,
4: really- there's a lot of no. uh rabbis though, and religious Jews who oppose Zionism. Right. And so, but there's also a lot of Christians who support it because there's something is when the Holy Land is returned to the Jews, then Jesus is gonna come back. So, right. you know, and that's another thing, it's all based on myths. Right. You know, it's like me saying, uh you know, I'm not going to go to the South because there's a, there's a giant that's what what was that giant's name that had Babe the Blue Ox? Mm-hmm. You know, oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. you know, I just know. like know stupid, like,
4: <laughs> like that. You know, just stupid. Sh- can I say shit? Stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but another thing is that um, I don't like to call Palestinians terrorists because I believe that occupied oppressed people have a right to resist, and so I I believe they're more like it's more the resistance. And so if there's any part of the side that's committing terrorism, I think it's the, the Israeli side because they are actually actively, and and I can only, I think, criticize Israel because I criticize, criticize my own, oh, the country I live in for being an occupational, destructive force around the world and israel is concentrating on its land you know where it's it's not israeli land but palestine is concentrating on that it has bombed lebanon and syria uh, particularly since this started but um, the united states spreads its cancer all over the world and so Um, and see when you think that when you see people who think Israel is worse than the United States you know that they hate Jews because there's no no comparison to what Israel does and what the United States does what Israel does is atrocious on a smaller scale than what the United States does you know so that's like I mean and this is you, you called it patriarchy and I started thinking when my son was killed In Iraq in 2004, we didn't have the complete story about what happened to him yet. And I don't even know if we're going to ever get the truth about what exactly happened to Casey. But I put blame on George Bush, Dick Cheney. We've already mentioned Condoleezza Rice, Colin Powell. And, of course, the Democrat warmongers like Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and all those people who promoted the war in Iraq. And I think uh, Raytheon, Boeing, uh, all of those, the Pentagon had the had the correct were the correct places to put my um, anger and but the one place I never put it was the people of Iraq is whoever fired the bullet that killed my son was only defending his community, right? He, he was, and I, I got, I've gotten emails from Iraqis who say, we're sorry. We didn't, we don't hate you. We didn't hate your son, but, um, we wanted the U S military out And I understand that, you know, that's something I understand because if, if uh, somebody tried to come and harm me or my children or grandchildren, I would do the same thing. I would defend my community the same way that they defended their community. And so that's a different kind of what I call matriotism is having love for all people, not just the people of your country, which is patriotism, matriotism, matriarchy, patriotism, patriarchy. And you know, patriarchy is hegemonic, it's withdrawn, it's inward. Matri matriotism is outwards. It's loving all of humanity, not just your family or your the because where you're born is an accident. It's just like random. You know you could be born anywhere to anybody and so just to love this geographic area to me seems very backwards
1: oh i agree i i mean i feel like <laughs> the whole premise in 1948 for setting up this zionist state was setting up a region to be you know something that it does this a powder way. keg. A, they, they set it up to be
4: a powder keg yeah Right. And yeah. but, to, you know, for the U.N.'s credit, which I don't really want to give them too much credit because they're it's like to me, it's a diplomatic cover for U.S. imperialism, just like NATO is another arm of U.S. militarism. But anyway, the NATO has something like 250 resolutions against Israel for what they do, and they have been calling for an immediate ceasefire. Uh, and not just a temporary one, but at one. And there just can't be a ceasefire. There has to be um, reparations. There has. They have to tear down that wall. It's in, it's against international law. People are trapped there. They're in. They're in prison. They, so to have a ceasefire in the north, tell tell everybody in this twenty five by five, twenty five mile by five mile slit of land to find somewhere else so you won't be bombed is absolutely
3: freaking ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I I think it's sort of this impossible, um, powder keg, like you said, that it's been, you know, set up. Um, I mean, I think like to something you said earlier that I, you know, partially disagree with, I, I do think that there's this like a, I don't know, a slippery slope, a sliding scale of, you know, what is resistance and what I would consider terrorism. I like, do think that a lot of what Hamas does, I consider terrorism. And, but like, I also don't, you know, I understand why they're doing it, you know, but
1: I think that. How do we break this vicious cycle? You know, cause that's what it is. It's yeah, like I mean, my brother was killed by. Right. I for an I leaves the whole world blind. Right. How, how do we stop that? How do we abolish war?
3: Girl, I don't know. Well, I mean, you yeah, have like to give all the in warmongers.
4: You have to give the people some kind of hope and some kind of, you know, some kind something to look forward to is like, what are the people of Gaza? Hamas is a creation of the was created after the wall came up. And what would you do? what would you do if you were trapped in an open air prison? I myself, I wouldn't just go, Oh, God bless my captors. I would be fighting for my children and my grandchildren because I'm not a pacifist, but I I'm against Imperial war. I'm anti-imperialist. I'm against colonialism. I'm against um, occupation. I'm and I, it's almost like, Going to what Thistle is alluding at, it's almost like the military-industrial complex created Israel, mm. because not only is it a powder keg, it's a it's a, a gold mine for the military-industrial complex, and so, uh, and then that was interesting, because after is, the creation of Israel, and the General, who was also a war criminal, Eisenhower became President of the United States when he left after eight years of mostly playing golf. He warned us of the growth of the military industrial complex and so uh, what we were i'm all, I also am a historian I majored in u s history uh, at ucla and so uh, before, like I was talking about, before World War One, the the conflicts were mostly combatants. Less than two percent of the people killed were civilians. Now I think it's like ninety eight percent. I think that has reversed itself. Correct. But then World War One. Look at the vast. Uh, that's right between World War One and World War Two is when Smedley Butler wrote "War a Racket." That's when vast, immoral, illegal, unethical profits were made by the war machine. And then many of those same profiteers, this is like a history lesson, supported Hitler's rise to, and then World War II happened. So they're not about to give up their gravy train, right? So since then we've had nonstop our tax dollars and our nation's resources have gone nonstop to supporting these few people in this most destructive, disgusting business—the war machine. And so, I think that, that that might, if if that was, if they didn't create uh, this uh, Israel-Palestine conflict, they're certainly benefiting from it and capitalizing
3: on it. That's yeah. one of the problems. I, I think that the people. I I feel like these outside forces, the U.S. and and you know the other countries that are sticking their hand in to help, are have just as much. I think the United States has just as much a stake in continuing the conflict as it purports to say. Oh, we, you know, we really want to stop this. I don't think
1: the U.S. does want to stop it. No, it's been going on for ever since nineteen forty-eight. On some in some form or another and it's almost like a dystopic sci-fi novel it's like the war and it's in the holy land and and it's an end of the world kind of type apocalyptic well and and
3: not even not even since 1948 i mean people have been conquering that city of jerusalem for thousands of years yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's been years yeah. a temple. We built another temple. Somebody else destroyed it. They built a mosque. You know. Like. Okay.
1: Well, that's a long, long <laughs> ass time, and it's yeah. like I like. Well, it's all men's war, and it's all men's religion. How it's do way we, I see it. Kind well, of. I think we do obviously because we're WLRN and we have a feminist analysis, and so we we see that that men are the perpetrators, the ones, the inventors, the primary inventors of. This war machine, and they train primarily other men, though Israel trains some women in well,
4: and the U.S. does too. The U.S. Uh, but it, but you're right. It is a overwhelmingly masculine, you
1: know. Energy. Right, and and it's 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 taking that propensity that you know women have, men have in some of us that to be violent, and it's it's training that instead of that. Other, that innate propensity that we all have that you, I think you were talking about earlier, Cindy, um, instead of fostering that and 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 training us to love one another, we're being trained to hate one another. And it's just gone on and on and on. And and I I, I just wish we had some kind of concrete solution. And I feel like it is it's related to women having power, but real power, not the kind of power that is power over and a power based on squashing others, but that power that you feel when you are with your family and you're feeling joyful and you're all singing, you know, like you, you get to be around the fire together. That's powerful. Um, How can we move from this power over smashing paradigm that's patriarchal into one that is, Nurturing the loving side in every human being regardless of their sex. How can we move towards that?
4: Well, that's a great question because it's certainly like we We've talked about is that the religious aspect of this conflict and religions are supposed to be you know peaceful and You know, that's just a joke and so there's a whole mythology of war and religion and everything is orwellian actually (laughs) when you think about when you think about it and so i've had a long well not as long as some people you know to my regret but since my son was killed almost 20 years of activism and writing and thinking and um doing and what i really think needs to happen is that i've come to the conclusion that the the forces at play against us are are pretty overwhelming and so i think that a local movement where like your somebody in the chat said not in not in your head lesbian in the chat said We have to create the solution. How about centering food versus land? And I think centering community, centering healthy things um, like organic food, um, community gardens, community food, um, schooling, getting the community involved in raising our children. Uh, I know some of my colleagues who we're in peace activism have created programs for elementary schools on peace. Why don't we have peace programs? And why don't we teach peace studies instead of US history? Like I told you, I majored in US history. It's a history of war and white men. That's all it is. It's war and white men the you know the whole time until you get into upper division. Then you learn about um other <laughs> aspects of US civil society. So I think doing more local things and we can't really say in you know that we can abolish war by doing that because I'm sure the people of Gaza they they don't choose to be in this war. And there might be a war happen that we don't choose. For ourselves, either the way the U.S. is being has been going, um, there could be active uh, bombing here. You know the way the administration is happening right now. So I think we need to choose each other. And if we like have these communities of care that we try to grow, which I'm trying to grow here in my own little <clears throat> in my own little way, um, trying to foster that is that they can become connected like a ground, like like a, a gentle breeze across the continent instead of like this, uh, this facing it up um, head on because they, <laughs> you know, they have all the weapons and that would be another day. That's another David and Goliath thing. I don't know if I'm making sense, yeah. but but your, but your friend, not in your head, lesbian says communities of care. Absolutely. And then, um, the more we become sufficient, self-sufficient with each other, and I'm not saying isolationism at all, human beings need each other. Right. And so we need, um, positive interactions with other human beings is that we need that, you know, I think that, that that has to be the way to go until if we spread across and there's no more room to spread, then we have to go up and just start, you know, eliminating uh, the way that um, the people here in this, uh, you know, and it's not just about the leadership in this country, but because they've done a brilliant job of propaganda and, and miseducating us to believe that the United States is the greatest country that, has ever been mm-hmm. you know and i wrote a book and if people um subscribe to my substack with a a paid subscription i give the book free it's called myth america the 20 greatest myths of the robber class and the case for revolution
3: mm-hmm.
4: and so the first thing we have to do is uh dispel these myths you know yeah we are a country But we're not great. No country has a right to exist. This country has committed many crimes. This country has a lot of karma. But if we start healing ourselves and our families and communities, we have to do that before we can even address the karma deficit this country has, I believe. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. If this country died it. tomorrow, I'm sure it would go to hell. And yeah. um, <laughs> I'm really um I mentioned that. I was really I was not sad when Kissinger passed away.
3: I couldn't even believe he was still alive. Oh no. Was I was like, I was genuinely saw that news and I was like, I I thought he was He dead was still already. alive
4: and he had his disgusting disgusting fingers in the pie of uh, U.S. imperialism.
1: Oh, my gosh, there's just so much here, right? Like I have been I've you know, I've been studying. um, People have primarily labeled it as leftist grassroots community organizing localism, regionalism, -regionalism, Mm bioregionalism, organizing in your own community, creating that revolution that gentle breeze that you're talking about going across the country because people in their local communities are growing their own food and building relationships with one another in a community of care and to me there's a lot of feminism in that I think in that vision I think that women hold that vision and are the grassroots organizers in our communities for the most part I also think It's that the bombs are stronger. (laughs) You know, I I hate that. I I don't want that to be so, um, which I think goes to your uh, point of being um, a peace activist, but not a pacifist in that, you know, we, we need to grow our own food, but there might come a time if we're literally having bombs raining down on us that we would have to organize a resistance and use, violence i mean like what we saw with like the zapatistas for example um right. which i grew up in the 80s and 90s and that was a very powerful grassroots movement that inspired me to um a vision of a caring community a civil society that um is is resisting and defending itself because it has to, but that that greening, that greening of the society, creating that ethic of care is a big part of it too, you know? Um, And I think the only way that we're going to be able to really spread that around is if women and not the Margaret Thatchers of the world, but if that women have to, somehow we need to shift the power so that women as a group collectively have power right now it just seems like you know whether you're in israel or you're in palestine woman is the second-class citizen still she is still the subordinate you know and Mm -hmm. that has to change i think before we're actually gonna get to that ethical that that um community of care that you're uh, illustrating for us, Cindy. Well I think that it can what we're
4: talking about is very subversive, but what I think that we have to stop asking men and we have to stop asking the system for permission to do stuff. We just need to do it. I think that we just have to just just do these things and and the reason why men are so oppressive against women or males and females however you want to say is because they know how powerful we are yeah and they know that and and i think it was emily who said or i don't know which one who said that um in china mothers bind the feet of their children we have to get away from that is thinking that we are lower, that thinking we're lower class citizens, we have to get our power Mm -hmm. and not allow our daughters or um, other young women to be abused um, in those ways. So I think maybe our movement can start today. The women (laughs) gathering together for communities of care
3: this
1: this 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 is WLRN 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 Women's Liberation Radio Women's Liberation Women's Liberation Radio News Women's Liberation Radio News
2: This month, we're discussing the war in Israel and Gaza. While there are many ongoing conflicts in the world, including in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, China, Darfur, and Ukraine, among far too many others, we are focusing on this one because of the global attention and the glaring absence in the media of those who bear the greatest burden, women. Over the last two months, much has been said about the conflict in Israel and Gaza. Marked by decades of tension, there have been profound and far-reaching consequences on the lives of those caught in its crossfire. And as with most conflicts, women in particular find themselves facing unique challenges and hardships. For that reason, the plight of women and children on both sides are the main concern for us here at WLRN. How can we ensure that they live in a world that treats them with dignity and respect and without fear? How do we navigate reporting on a war that is so divisive and complex and mired in centuries of conflict? And how do we guarantee that the voices of Gazan and Israeli women are heard and their stories understood? One way is to share them here, with the acknowledgement that there are so many stories that have yet to be told and even more that never will, because in war, women sufferings collateral damage. The primary perpetrators of the war and destruction we see in Israel and Gaza are men, be they from Israel, Gaza, Iran, the United States, Russia, or elsewhere. With politics playing out on local and global scales, families are torn apart, leaving women as the primary caregivers for children, elderly family members, and the wounded. The toll of such loss and displacement is immeasurable, with women often grappling with grief, anxiety, sexual assault, pregnancy, and post-traumatic stress. In Gaza, pregnant women are forced to deliver without water, electricity, or proper medical equipment, putting themselves and their infants at risk of injury and death. With an estimated 50,000 pregnant women in Gaza and 180 babies born every day, conditions are dire, and many women have given birth in shelters or even under debris following airstrikes. After a brief truce at the end of November, during which Israeli hostages and Gazan prisoners were released, the fighting resumed with Israel ordering civilians in southern Gaza to evacuate. As of the first week in December, the death toll in Gaza has exceeded 15,000 people, and with the renewed fighting, that number will only increase. And survivors grapple with displacement is around 1.8 million people, which is 80% of the population has been forced to evacuate their homes. Displacement is common in time of war and puts women at increased risk of sexual assault from enemy combatants and from men who are supposedly on their side. Women are thus facing a battle on multiple fronts and are not even safe among those who claim to fight for the rights of their communities. In war zones more broadly, combatants often commit an alarming increase in sex-based violence, with women and girls facing heightened risks of abuse and exploitation. The Israel-Gaza conflict is no exception and concerted efforts are needed to address and prevent sex-based violence. Legal frameworks that protect women's rights must be enforced, both at the national and international levels. Human rights organizations must monitor and document instances of sex-based violence, advocating for justice and pressing for policy changes that prioritize the safety and well-being of women, regardless of religion or ethnicity. This is where the media, protesters, academics, and human rights organizations have fallen short. Around the world, and indeed in Gaza and Israel, anti-Semitic and anti-Muslim rhetoric is often employed to rally people around a certain stance. In both the U.K. and the U.S., for example, the rate of bigoted attacks on Muslim or Jewish men, women, and children have increased since October 7th. People not directly impacted by the war, such as those in Western countries, approach these conversations as if they were talking about sports teams, ignoring that real people are suffering and losing their lives. This also extends to justifying the actions of Hamas on October 7th, which included the rape and brutalization of Israeli women, as inevitable or even deserved. In Canada, the director of the Sexual Assault Center of the University of Alberta endorsed an open letter calling for a ceasefire, but also denied that Hamas militants committed sexual assault on October 7th. While the director has since been fired, the rape and torture of Israeli women during the massacre on October 7th has been minimized or simply ignored by individuals and organizations around the world who think that because Gazans are oppressed by Israel, the actions of Hamas were justified. Women, regardless of where they live or the communities in which they belong, never deserve to be raped or brutalized by men. Such acts are not examples of freedom fighting, but are instead crimes against humanity. Gazan and Israeli women alike deserve to be treated with dignity and respect with access to proper medical care and shelter. In the midst of the current conflict, which is another chapter in a war that has plagued the community since the mid-20th century, the humanity of the women on both sides must not be forgotten.
1: Thanks for listening to WLRN's 92nd Edition podcast. Mary, Mary, and ho, ho, ho from the elves here at WLRN. WLRN would like to thank our guest this month for sharing her views on the war in the Middle East. Thank you so much, Cindy Sheehan, for speaking with us. Until next time, this is Thistle signing off.
0: If you like what you are hearing and would like to donate to the cause of Feminist Community Radio, please visit our WordPress site and click on the donate button. Check out our merch tab to get a
4: nice gift in exchange for your donation. And if you're interested in joining our team, we are always looking for new
3: volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post to our Facebook and other social media pages, do audio editing, and any other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Thanks for listening. This is Jenna signing off for now. And I'm Sekmet she Thanks for tuning in. Next month, we will focus our program on looking back at 2023 and ahead to 2024 with Joe Brew of WDI International. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month, so look for it on Thursday, January 4th, 2024. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast, music show, and full length interview are released, please sign up for our newsletter on the WLRN WordPress site at WLRNmedia.com. Keep fighting male power. Thanks for listening.
2: This is Mary, signing off in another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spinster, Overit, and SoundCloud, in addition to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. And this is Emily. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender, loving care and in
3: solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks so much for your support. We would love to hear from you, so please share, like, and comment widely.
1: But how will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss? How will we find what needs to be shown? And then after that, where is home? Tell me.